Lee, how are you? Where are you? I'm great, Baden. Um, of course I'm great. We've just stepped out of the pub. We're in the uh, oldest part of Bogota in Colombia, um, having a few beers with some friends. Um, this afternoon we had a wonderful time in Bogota. We went to the Museum of Gold and we also went to the um, Presidential Palace, which is a bit of a special thing because of a friend we have. He set it up for us and we got to go and have a look and there wasn't really any good gossip, but we got to check out all of his paintings and chairs. Yeah, oh actually the coolest thing that happened there was that uh, we thought we had our names on the door, you know, we were going backstage in the presidential palace <laughs> and it turned out that our names weren't actually on the door and the funny thing was is that they, they looked at Shelley's passport and they let her in and then when it came to me and Shaggy was with us as well, um, they said, no, no, your name's not on the list. I was like, well, how's my name not on the list, but yet my wife's name is on the list? And then she showed me the list, and she'd highlighted the word Shenzhen. And below Shenzhen, there was all these Chinese names. And I said to her, um, do you realize um, Shenzhen is not my wife's name? <laughs> uh, Shenzhen is an area in China or a city in China. And she was like, uh. At that point, some guy in military fatigues came inside the palace and came and got me and was like, you're not on the list. But we made it inside anyway. Yeah, we made it inside anyway. We kind of sweet-talked our way in and oh, they, they had a tour ready, but it was all going to be in Spanish. But the guy who was leading the tour spoke English as well, so yeah. it, it was sweet. Aww. Welcome to the How Are You, Where Are You podcast. This is an audio travelogue of our adventures by bike as we shed weight and gain friends on our way back <laughs> to New Zealand. We left London in April after living there for seven years and we have cycled through Europe and Central America in a pretty direct I think route towards the Hutt Valley of New Zealand. In breaking news we're going to lift the lid more off this Fijoa uh, issue. A lot of New Zealanders would have been surprised on last week's podcast to find that actually frankly shocked. Shocked and just really shocked to the core. Yeah that uh, Fijoas are actually Colombian and they're actually called Fairhoas. And why aren't we saying this in New Zealand? But we've, have, we've lifted the lid, we've investigated more, we've found out there's a lot more to this Fijoa story than meets the eye. We will come back to this later on the podcast, stay tuned. But <laughs> last episode we were in the, well it was a lovely pretty city, it was, I guess it's more pretty than here in Bogota to be fair, yeah. uh, in Medellin. Yeah. And since then, we've made the, the big journey, and it has been quite the journey. It takes 10 hours on a bus to get from Medellin to Bogota. And um, a lot of the, uh, previously, the road between Medellin and Bogota was uh, closed or kind of like a no go area because the government was warning that uh, terrorists, you know, the FARC um, separatists, were on the route. And they were doing this thing called. Uh, fishing for miracles I can't remember what it was called in Spanish now wow. but the fishing for miracles is the idea that when a rich person is traveling on that road between Bogota and Medellin you kidnap them oh, and then you get yeah. heaps of ransom for it sometimes so, they, had to, they had to keep them for years though didn't they yeah some some people like there was a, I read about an American banker based in Bogota who got kidnapped by FARC yeah. Uh, and yeah, he was um, in the jungle for two years basically, and he made it out on his own free will. Wow. But anyway, this route that we travelled, very interesting route. It was, 
you know, plagued by this sort of separatist thing. And it meant that it was very difficult for people to get from Bogota to Medellin. They had to fly. They had to... Um, this is like literally like 10 years ago, right? Yeah, this is only 10 years ago. And we rode the route perfectly safe. So 10 um, hours on a bus, how many hours on a bike? Well, about a week. <laughs> <laughs> about a week going... Well, I guess our average was about 80, 70, 80 k a day. So it was a it was a uh, it was was a really great route, wasn't it? And yeah. the first place we stopped off uh, was El Pinol, and nearby there was uh, this little village, a cute little village, Guatapé. Hola, from Guatapé. We are in the main square here in this cute little town which is on the uh, banks of this massive artificial lake uh, just outside of Medellin and uh, it's kind of unique the design of the buildings I've never don't think I've seen anything like this before the lower portion maybe like the lower quarter of the of the buildings have all these little designs um, sometimes there are cars and people and houses or just sort of little designs in the, in the lower third of all the buildings so I think it's a design that's obviously typical to this particular region. But look, I really want to understand why they have all these designs here. So we're just walking into the uh, Palacio Municipal, which is, I think, should be the uh, local government here. And we can maybe just try and find someone to ask. I would try and ask a local, but everyone seems to be tourists around here. So let's see. Hola. Hola, ¿cómo estás? Bien, bien. 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 Uh, ¿Por qué en Guatapé en particular hay muchas pinturas? Okay, so they call them zócalos. These are the pictures that are on the bottom of the buildings. Okay, so they were originally designed to protect the, protect the buildings from water. So I guess flooding and things. So they put this extra layer of wood uh, on the bottom third of the buildings to protect it. But then over time, these became more and more ornamental and started to have representations of the animals that the people had or family or other important things to the families that lived in these homes. We've moved on to the older street here in Guatapé where we're checking out some of these zócalos that uh, we found out back at the uh, council house. So like in this one here outside um, this old museum it looks like, mm -hmm. you've got uh, a guy sort of struggling to carry this man up the hill behind with a man in a chair on his back. Um, he's also carrying big maize plants as well. So. I guess it symbolizes some of the uh, no, maybe slavery that went on here and the uh, different strata of society, um, no, all, in, all in the design. Now over the other side here you've got a man uh, walking along a path with his donkeys carrying milk and flour. Um, and then sometimes you just get a more simple design, you know, like a simple cross type design with a bit more sort of gilt edged. Um, and all the colours of the house, I mean it's quite a nice street isn't it? Mm. Every house is a different colour, blue, yellow, cream, green, uh, blue again, olive, it's um, 
a beautifully colourful street. <laughs> yeah, so I think that these zocalos, as they're called, um, they're kind of seen as like almost a heraldic thing for families and quite important for the character of the village, obviously. They show some of the history of the village. They focus on religion, on work, on the economy of the village. And um, I think uh, we're reading some of the signs that are in the street and one of them was saying that, you know, they're, they're actually important for the... the kind of overall um, adhesion of the community. Um, so I think there's a lot of pride in them and they're very well maintained, very, very bright and colourful um, even today. Is it possible to pass a little while? Yes. Gracias. So is this house the most viejo in Guatapé? Yes. Ah, is it your family? Ah, wow. The house of Avilia. It's the old one of the most viejo. Wow, look, burros. Yeah, lots of uh, donkeys. So we've walked around the town a little bit more and um, we've actually seen quite a lot of modern zocalos as well, haven't we? So we've seen um, trucks and uh, keyboard and electric guitar kind of motif. Um, so yeah, it's quite nice to see that the tradition is continuing. They're not just old ones. Um, but now we are in the oldest house in Guatapé and um, the man that whose family still owns it is here um, and it has zócalos all around the inner courtyard We've just visited one of the oldest houses here. In fact, I think it is the oldest house. And Enrique, who um, still lives here, his family still owns it 200 years after it was built and had a look at um, some of the Zocalos in his courtyard inside. And um, yeah, really beautiful. And what a lovely guy to explain some of the uh, ways in which they built the house and what things were like back in the day. Yeah, I've been taking some really awesome pictures on my Motorola Moto G. Um, so there's going to be amazing pictures on the website to, so you too can really get a real sense with the colour and the beauty that only my phone's camera can uh, really bring out in places like this. After leaving the village of Guatapé, we, um, we set off on a road. We weren't too sure about it. Uh, we pulled onto it and it was pretty rocky and broken up. And that didn't really change. Um, and normally, like in the past, I've been not a massive fan of off-roading. Like I, I don't have kind of, I haven't had the skills for it. But on this particular day, um, the sun was shining. The scenery was incredibly beautiful, like pastoral and mountainous. So you get these great views and it was just magic. You know, we, we were on these rocky roads, like paths, no traffic, um, you know, cows on the roads with us, pine trees along the road, uh, friendly people to talk to, birds. I saw a pink dragonfly. As I say, magic. It had it all really and it all fits in with the sort of new style of touring that we're doing you know Lennon who's been traveling with us you, you met in last week's podcast he um, yeah sort of encouraged us to uh, take this road he wasn't with us on this point he was meeting us in, in the point we were heading to Granada and yeah it was just a real it was great to sort of ride that and then when we got to Granada Granada's got a, had a really interesting history of itself like maybe 10 or 15 years ago the place was bombed by uh, FARC separatists again so it was a town that's had to sort of rebuild mm. but 
people are extremely friendly and welcoming. Yeah, one woman in particular came over to us at lunch to talk to us because she'd lived in the US, so she spoke English and she obviously wanted to kind of try out her English and we chatted to her and she said she'd come back to the town to help them kind of rebuild a bit of a culture and a community. Mm. And, and then um, from Granada we sort of carried on and on the nice paved road for a bit and then we turned off onto the old bumpy, on the old bumpy road again and you see great things there you know I had that puncher at that point and uh, halfway down and it was outside a little clothes factory and all these like young people were there were sewing up uh, clothes it was kind of a strange situation but that helped us met uh, Lennon's brother yeah he pulled up in a motorbike Lennon's brother and uh, gave us a few directions on how to get to his little finca or farm and so once Baden's tire was repaired, we um, headed down this this rocky path. And I was getting quite concerned because I don't have very good lights on my bike, like a good front light, and the light was really fading. So I was kind of, I was downhilling it, man. Like I was going kind of 17, 18 K an hour down this like rocky path. Um, just, just thinking, okay, the more ground I can make while the light's here, the better, because once it gets dark, this is going to be way harder. There was a bit of comfortability for us, really, because we knew that even though we're heading on this sort of unknown road, there was uh, Andre's farm yeah, that Andres. we could stay, Andre's farm. Yeah. And we got, so we got down there and um, we saw Andre's bus um, motorcycle. So we were like, oh, this must be the place, because he, he, went, he went forward a bit after yeah, I had that punch. He went ahead of us, and when we saw his motorcycle, the thing is, is that Lennon, his brother, had never been to this farm before like Andres hasn't owned it for very long so we pulled up in front of the motorcycle we looked around for a house and then when we looked up a hundred meters above our heads on a kind of like just a, a huge hill was was the house with lights and a tiny dirt path zigzagging up towards it and it was like well what do we do now Here we are in the jungle. We're in the jungle in a little shack. Hey! We're putting the bikes in a shack because we've arrived at our destination and we've got here just before it got dark. We were so relieved to get here. And then we found out that the house is on a massive hill with like a steep dirt path to get up there. So we're stashing the bikes in the bushes down here. To lock them in this little shack. (laughs) Everyone's getting really pissed off. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's getting really shitty. It's so funny. The whole bloody neighborhood is going to know that we've got our bikes in here. We look super dodgy. Baden, get in here. You're on. It's lock time. Yeah, I got the cable. I got the cable. (laughs) You have to like creep through these bushes into this like little area. Where's the cable? Here, I've got it. Do this first. Oh my god, this is so funny. Also, adding to the um, tension is the fact that I'm really busting to go to the toilet. <laughs> Do you think everyone around here knows what we're doing and that our bikes are in here? So, what are we doing with these other panniers? Are we going to leave them in? No, I think we have to take them. So we're taking 12 bags. <laughs> we're going to have to carry 12 bags up this... M- like, 
I'm not talking a little hill. It's how many meters do you think that house is up above us, Baden? Like a hundred meters? <laughs> What's that? Is that a helicopter? Oh great, there's like I don't know who's here. Someone's here. Oh my god. These bikes are definitely gonna be gone tomorrow. Put this through the frame. Okay. Well, if the if the tour continues, you know our bikes weren't stolen in the middle of the night. We've continued this fantastic streak that we're on in this sort of new style of touring. I don't know what to call it, but we've sort of been, I guess, waxing lyrical a bit about how we've sort of changed our style since we've been traveling with Lennon and Shaggy. And the record is that we still have not paid for accommodation uh, since we've been in Colombia. And we've been in Colombia since November the 20th, I think. Yeah, I think, I really think it's just that traveling with other people who are um, on fixed budgets and have to find accommodation that's free has forced us to do it and has given us confidence and we've learned a lot from them. And we've stayed in some really <laughs> cool places, haven't we? Like, um, So on this trip between Medellin and Bogota, first night we're in the Bomberos in El Peñol, uh, the fire station. Marta was the commandante, oh, yeah. an amazing character. And she found a room out the back of the fire station and you know, we slept in there. I had a, I was trying out the pole in the fire station. She was such an awesome hard woman. Like she wore like a full face of makeup and was like the commandante of the, the whole fire brigade. And just all the men were just all in awe of her, you know. She had yeah. she has full control. The next night we're staying with Lennon's brother Andres in this farm, which we were talking about before. And, you know, he's only just recently taken over this place and it's sort of half built. And there were like these massive crazy moths up there. And we sort of had to put all the slats on the bed before we could sleep on there. So that was. May I say that neither the shower nor the bathroom had any door. So that was an interesting privacy issue, which we resolved (laughs) with the help of some sheets. Yeah, or me just sort of standing in front of the door with a towel while Shelley peed. <laughs> Where was the next night? Oh, the uh, the next night was uh, Monteloro. Monteloro, yeah. It was a kind of an opportune night because I'm all, I'm been riding with this dodgy tire at the moment. I I can't find a decent tire that will fit my bike. It's a bit of a headache. We'll talk about that another time, perhaps. But um, I I was starting to get a bit of a flat tire, and I was like, oh, we need to change the tire. It was getting late in the, um, in the evening. The sun was probably going to go down in about another hour okay, or so. Well, can I just say, like, it was just an amazing coincidence that Baden got a flat tire right. Feliz Navidad, Senor. Where, that Baden got a flat tire right next to a school with an Hola. unlocked gate. So we went in, Hola. pitched our tents, Hola. and camped in the playground Hola. of a school. See? See? Hey, amigo. Friend. Yes? Please tell me that no, no tengo. Well, we have a little bit here. Can you hold that? Okay, right. Shelly's just giving some money to a guy who's That's coming okay. up on the street to it's ask. There you go. go. A few hundred pesos, and 10 cents. Very generous. Well, you know, poor guy. He's all right. He's quite yeah, friendly. It's okay. Um, so yeah, so we stayed at a school. What next? I mean, well, the, the funny thing was with school is school holidays at the moment, and so the the gate was sort of slightly open. So we went inside and we found the playground out the back, and there was like a big barrel of water, 
Um, and so we like scooped water out of that to give ourselves a bit of a like. At this point, can I just say, on this trip, I have lost all prudishness. Like we're with these other two guys and I'm there in my bra and knickers just like shamelessly washing myself because I'm like, I don't know, I remember when I was a kid and I'd go to Stokes Valley Pool and I and when I was 10 years old, I'd still want a cubicle to get changed into my swimsuit. Well, that's gone now. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I pretty I'm not much, worried about that anymore. I pretty much let it all hang out as well. I mean, yeah, it's, everyone it's not, saw it's your bum. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Shaggy was calling out, oh, kiwi ass, kiwi ass. Sweet ass, sweet, sweet ass. ass. Yeah, Shaggy has spent some time in New Zealand and he knows the term sweet as, but he thinks it's sweet ass. Uh, he thinks everyone in New Zealand was admiring his ass while he was there. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the funny thing, we uh, set up camp in this playground and then we walked up to this tiny little village for some, for try and find some food. We put our bike locks on the gate, so we secured the school ourselves, really. <laughs> <laughs> the next night was um, down on the plains again. We'd come off the mountains properly and we found some another fire station. And this time, uh, normally in the fire stations we've stayed at, they've give, there's been some sort of room. You know, we talked about a stage that we once slept on, a little room out the back at another station. And in this one, we just slept behind the engines at the back of the station beside all the jackets and um, the boots. Yep, just you know, on the floor. Just on the floor. They put down some gym mats for us. And, and while we didn't have our own room, it was the most spectacular shower we've had so they far. had a great shower there, wasn't it? <laughs> the next night we stayed um, at a public swimming pool. That was another sort of weird experience. And the following night after that, we camped uh, near an old um, tra disused train station right up high in the mountains, uh, yeah, uh, over 2,000 metres. And, and the thing is, the train station looked beautiful, didn't it? It was so it was so beautiful but the train line had actually stopped 50 years before it's quite bizarre but yeah so we <laughs> stayed there and um a local lady in a shop gave it let us use her shower and let us cook some food on her stove so yeah it's been it's been quite strange and what's been lovely is that it's been really chilly we're up so high we're using our sleeping bags we're getting all snuggly and we're staying in some bizarre places As we mentioned, that route between Medellin and Bogota has sort of, in 10, 20 years ago, been fraught with danger. You know, the gorillas were there, the FARC gorillas sort of blocking the routes, kidnapping people. And also Pablo Escobar, the, the drug lord, the famous drug lord, he had a big farm there. And there's, there's no sort of tourism development on this route for this sort of region, reason. But when you pass Escobar's Hacienda Nopales, it's a little bit different. Yo, Lennon. Yo. Yo, So, why did you bring us to Pablo Escobar's farm? Um, Pablo Escobar farm is really important or was really famous. It's a really famous place. Because Pablo Escobar, he was the most rich people from all over the world for about uh, 30 years. And he he uh, he likes he loves to stay here to spend time here to make business here with uh, uh, with people from all over the world from Mexico especially from Mexico and Russia or Italian narco traffickers and he loves this place and he brings a lot of animals from everywhere from India from China from Africa. 
and he has uh, he had before like a so a personal zoologic and now this are like uh, this a park from the government uh, and it's a tourist area can i ask about um i think in the news there was a story about the hippopotamus the hippopotamus ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah there is uh, there are some animals not only hippopotamus there are a lot of animals they just disappear and they are somewhere around at the news last week just last week i saw at the news there is some hippopotamus around so you have to be careful for them because they are maybe on the way we we are riding now <laughs> so it's it's a, like a real it's a, like a weird but it's real <laughs> On our trip here to Bogota from Medellin, we've um, kind of quite randomly met a couple of people in various villages who um, still pan for gold, uh, which is sort of surprising. And obviously New Zealand's got a real kind of history of like having a gold rush down in Otago. So it was interesting watching people using those old wooden pans even today. Um, and the other thing is, you know, when we've been meeting people and telling them this is where we're heading, they've all been recommending, oh, you have to go to the Museo del Oro, which is the Museum of Gold. And even when we lived in London, an exhibition of Colombian gold came to the city and we, we meant to see it, but we never did. So that was something we were definitely not going to miss out on when we got here. The climax of a visit to the Gold Museum is the offering room. Gold was a symbol of power, transformation, and it was seen as containing the sun's fertility. Shaman performed rituals and threw gold objects like frogs and bats and birds into lakes and rivers to ensure the well-being of the people. Right now we are surrounded by glittering pre-Columbian gold and sounds evocative of these rituals. is quite strange. It's a city of over seven million people and it's like it's two and a half thousand meters in the sky. I don't really understand why they've done that. Well Bogas as I like to call it is um, I think it's the third largest, uh, third highest capital city in the world and it got me sort of wondering and I've asked a few people around here why? why? Why is this the capital city? So for example it's something like 400 and 50 miles to get to the coast in Colombia. So why is your capital city so far away you know, from that, that sort of trade route? There is a river, the Rio Magdalena, but that is uh, 2,000 meters below us right now. So it's really hard to get all this freight up into uh, Bogota, which is on the sort of high, um, high sort of plateau. Yeah. And, um, I've asked people in Bogas You've this. You've been obsess obsessively yeah. asking people. I mean, it just didn't make sense as we're riding up here. Why would you make a capital city here? So I've got a few theories. One, one thing to say is that the people that you ask, they don't know. The people that live here, they don't know what to say to your question. Yeah, exactly. And so 
I've read a f- I've read a few things. I've talked to a few people, and I'm starting to sort of build a theory. <laughs> so I haven't heard this yet. Okay. <laughs> so I've been reading this book, Short Walks from Bogota, by a guy called Tom Fowling, a British guy who lived here for a few years, and he came back, sort of trying to understand it more. So one theory is that um, uh, basically the elites uh, set themselves up here in the post-colonial time. And basically they suffered, suffocated power from the provinces and brought it all here to Bogota, which meant that people trying to make a living or, you know, trying to improve themselves and lives had to come to this area. So, yeah, one reason was that the elite, the white elite, colonial elite... Um, we're dragging in power, centralizing power. Centralizing power. Okay. Another reason is why they, why perhaps did they do that? Well, um, a theory I heard today was that one guy reckons it's because of the because of the climate. It's a lot colder here. We're kind of sitting here, shivering at the moment, and, and when the sun's gone, when the sun goes down, it's uh, considerably colder during the day. The Andean sun is quite piercing and really on our eyes as well. You're like, it's, it can be quite blinding. And so one of the reasons I thought, well, everywhere else in Colombia is so sizzling hot. Maybe it's, this is the best on place the, to have the capital. Yeah, because on the way here, we were like dipping from high altitudes to low altitudes. And that going from that cold, chilly, nice climate to baking hot down low, it makes you really conscious of how nice it is up high. Yeah. But the thing is, this city, what do you reckon about Bogota? Um, I haven't enjoyed my time here. Um, it's, I think it's a city that grew too fast. Um, I think that uh, it's a city that basically from the 50s just um, had a lot of immigration from various provinces and even other countries like Venezuela and Ecuador. Because I think the, the economy here has been relatively resilient over time. They export, you know, they're very strong exporters of bananas and coffee and things like that. And so I think it's just like completely exploded and it's not been planned in a great way. And for that reason, it's, it's like no one wins. So pedestrians, cyclists, people on public transport and people in cars are all battling each other every day in this giant city and it, and you know as I say no one's winning like everyone is just losing that's my feeling. It's incredibly disorganized isn't it? Yeah. You know there's no metro system you're running on sort of buses there are cycle lanes and bus lanes and things but it doesn't really sort of help. No. Um, there, are, there are continually points where the system lets you down, whoever you are. So if you're on a bike, you're on a cycle lane, which will go through an intersection where you're just like left to kind of fend for yourself. Uh, if you're on buses, they'll go so far in a certain network, but then you have to get off and then you have to get on these. There are all these private bus systems that work that, that don't link in together. It's it's just crazy. I, I can't, I can't, I mean, I can see how if you lived here, you could probably make it work, but it would be madly frustrating. One thing they have actually improved here is crime. Um, you know, a few years ago, the homicide rate in the city was around 400 people a year. Now it's uh, a couple of years ago, the homicide rate was 18 for, for a whole year in a city of 7 million people. That's that's impressive. But the thing is, you wouldn't know that from talking to people here in Bogota. How many times have we been warned about the safety of our bikes? Don't go down this area, you know, don't go down. No, you, it's not safe for you to go down that street. Yeah. I don't know, we're sitting out in the middle of Bogota in the, city, in the, in the central city. We feel pretty safe, don't we? But yeah. it's quite interesting, that attitude. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been, this has been the most extreme, you know, when we went to Guatemala City, that's got a bad reputation, and we did not have this many people, random strangers, approaching us to warn us. I mean, it just goes to show how, like, caring and friendly the Colombian people are, even in a big city like this, that they're concerned about us, they can see that we're visitors, and they, they are worried that we don't understand the dangers. But even where we're staying, we're staying with a nice man in one of the outer suburbs um, who's let us stay in his place for free, and uh, even in his apartment complex, three different neighbours have come to us and said, are you sure you want to leave your bikes locked out here because things go missing and da 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 It's just like, it's relentless, the, the, the fear of the city. And yet, I mean, we're, maybe we've been lucky, but we haven't had any problems. As we mentioned in the breaking news section of the podcast, we have stunning news, groundbreaking news about Fijoas. And uh, the truth is, they take Fijoas so much more seriously than we do in New Zealand. Yeah, in Medij, back in Medellin, we found some Fijoas in the market here, and uh, market there, but here in Bogota, it's close to the Boyaca region where uh, Fijoas are from. And the home of Fijoa is in a place called Tiva Sosa? Yes. Tiva Sosa, Colombia. This is the home of Fijoa worldwide. And it's amazing what they do in Fiji with Fijoas in this town. Uh, they have a festival of Fijoas every year. And uh, during the summer, in around August. And if you uh, went to uh, Tiva Sosa, you're going to uh, be amazed as a New Zealander at the sort of things that they do with Fijoas. You know, in New Zealand, as we mentioned in last week's podcast, basically just cut a uh, Fijoa in half, get a spoon, scoop it out, eat it. Well, here, the options are limitless of what they do with Fijoas. Obviously, they make shakes from them, uh, fruit shakes, they use the pulp. Uh, what else have we found? There's jams, there's liquors, there's cakes, there's tarts, there's... <laughs> I know, ice creams, they put them, like, they preserve them in syrup. Um, what else do they do? There's well, when was caramellos and candies. Oh, candies. When we were sort of saying... Um, wine. Wine, absolutely. And when we were telling, um, our friend of ours, who was telling us all these different things, that he's from Boyaca. His uh, grandparents are from this town where they have this Fijoa festival every year. And when I said, oh, well, we've got Fijoa vodka back in New Zealand, he was like, is that all? You know, like... So really, New Zealand, wake up. You've got a lot to learn with Fijoas. You've got to exploit those little fruits that are in pretty much everyone's backyard back in New Zealand. And, and the other thing, the crazy thing they do here in Colombia, they eat the skins of the Fijoa. This is, or the Fijoa, this is sort of like unheard of in New Zealand that you'd yeah. eat the skin as Our well. Our friend Rafael, who we're staying with, had the look of shock on his face when we said we don't eat the skins. He was like, but there are vitaminas in the skins yeah the vitamins the nutrients that are in the skin new zealand wake up you've got to embrace your fijoas a lot more welcome to another what's in the pot live special a breakfast special all the way from guaduas in colombia <laughs> and today we are making porridge but it's porridge and oats or avena as we call it here with a difference because it's got a secret ingredient and this ingredient is panela 
and Lennon, this was used by uh, Tour de France cyclists, wasn't it? The Colombian Tour de France cyclists would go to France and they'll be riding with these, uh, the secret ingredient called panela. What is panela? Panela is, um, is made with uh, sugar cane. It's just sugar cane. There is no anymore. They just burn the sugar cane. They, they, they take for uh, sugar cane the juice and they just bur uh, burn and that is all. And so they make it into a hard block. Oh, it looks like uh, the cooking is over. It's ready and ready to eat. So let's serve it up and we can sort of taste it. So in the bowl here, we've got oats, water, cinnamon, mango, you put in banana, Shaggy? Yeah, banana, mango. Banana, banana mango, mango. cinnamon. I'm probably starting to repeat ingredients now, but it's all in there. And now uh, it's time to serve it up and eat it. So, uh, panela is part of everyday Colombian life, isn't it? Yeah, this is the most common uh, drinking for Colombian people since a long time ago. When the people don't have any more to eat or to drink, they just drink panela and maybe a little bit of milk but it's really common to have uh, since you are ch children children they drink uh, panela just panela with water so panela comes in this sort of hard block you can buy it for around a big block of it for around what 75 cents or something like that mm -hmm. and, uh, and then you just just add water and but also you can break it up into little fudge like bits and that's what the Tour de France guys were putting in their bottles or having in the back of their pockets and eating it as they're going up the hills. So Shaggy, you in particular love Panela. Uh, why Why do you like Panela so much? Uh, the taste, I like the taste. So what, what, is it, what is the taste for you? Like, And also it seems to help you get up the hills. I think so, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> Maybe you gain a lot of energy because I saw when you beat panela, you are more stronger than when you don't have. Like yesterday, you don't have panela, you was really like no, no, viejito, no, no, viejito. No, 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 no. I, know, I like the taste. <laughs> okay, now it's time to eat. Uh, right, I'll take this red dog bowl. And here is a spoon. Uh -huh. How do you like? Mmm. Mmm. This is good. I mean, normally we're having panela just in with hot water. It's like a you know, drink at breakfast time. But it's the first time we put oats in it. And it's really delicious. So, especially with the fruit in it. I mean... That's good. Mm. This is only sugar. It's yeah. only sugar. Sugar cane. Well, it's handy because we've got to like cycle up the hills, big hills up to Bogota. So this is really going to help us. So let's down this panela and get on our bikes. This is another What's in the Pot live special breakfast edition. What's next for us, Baden? Wow, gosh. Um, let, hang on, wait, I'm going to guess. I'm just going to take a quick guess. More mountains? Yeah, Shelley, there are going to be more okay, mountains right, that cool, your little cool, legs yeah. are going to oh, have good. to... No, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really pleased. Oh, but first, actually, we've got to get back to the pub and meet up with our friends. Oh, yeah. So when I left, I'd uh, been dominating the jukebox for a while. We yeah. had Ramstein from Du Haas was being played to the bar. 
and the last one before we left, I uh, put on Roxette's Joyride. Wow, so it's, what a blast from the past that it's, was. It's been amazing. Fantastic. So really, I don't, know, I don't know if you've seen that video in a while, but she wears a, a mean pair of leggings with a leotard. Great, great outfit. So I've really got to get back to the bar and just also, take charge of the jukebox I, again. We should give a real big shout out to Shaggy because um, he actually, he shouted a round of tequilas. <laughs> Shaggy never pays for anything. We, for we, we paid for a lot of the Panella. We had a big breakthrough with Shaggy yesterday. He bought his Panella, his yeah. own Panella for yeah. the first time. Yeah. So that, that was massive. And he when he bought the uh, tequilas, we were completely think, flattened Do you know, by I that. think it's getting emotional because he's leaving us tomorrow. And I think that's what's, what's uh, been the catalyst for this uh, sudden spending spree. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of us... We are going to be heading back down and then back up. So down, down out of Bogota, then back up to a place. In the next week, we're aiming for a, a village called Manizales, which is in the heart of the coffee region here in Colombia. So that's going to be great. And the big highlight for me is this big Strava climb uh, that's kind of famous for cyclists called Alto de la Tras, where we'll be climbing up to around 3,500 metres, maybe more. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be incredible. A it's massive a massive smile on your face. It's a big, conti- uh, as far as I know, it's a continuous climb uh, that goes for around 80, 85 kilometers or wow. something like that. So, yeah. fantastic. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, look at the smile on your face and just this, just this straight out look of dread on my face. This is what turns you on, isn't it? Crazy, creepy climbs. Uh, creepy. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? 80 kilometers of climbing. Wow. What makes a man a man, you know? Like, <laughs> Oh my God. Okay, I'm giving you more of my stuff to carry. Well, that's us for this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We'd love to know how you are and where you are. You can email us, you? at gmail.com. You can go to the blog, howareyouwhereareyou.com, where we're keeping our interactive map up to date. And also you can click on links to the uh, podcast. You can subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, Thank you very much to Callum Campbell, who has provided all of the original music for the podcast. Baden is online at Baden C on Twitter or Baden Cycling on Instagram. Anything else to mention, Bay? That'll do. Yeah? Yeah, let's get back to the bar and uh, get back onto the uh, Roxanne. Oh my gosh, my hands are really cold, actually. Let's get back inside. All right, bye, guys. Bye. Bye.